Good morning, Whitewater. <laughs> It is on. There you go. We can use that one. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize for that. Hey, um, we have been going through this series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And it's been so fun. It's great to see Mr. Rogers and brings up those great memories from childhood. One of the things that I love about Mr. Rogers is that he's not afraid to talk about hard things. And one of probably the most difficult topics and one that can keep you from a flourishing life with Jesus is shame. And so we brought in Katie Schiffelbein. <laughs> Hello. Um, if you, this isn't our usual. George uh, is in Sierra Leone this week. And um, this is his sister, Katie. She is from Idaho. And, and believe it or not, she's little, but she has a PhD in <laughs> organizational health and wellness. And so we're excited to have her here, here, here today and kind of have more of a conversation uh, and whatnot. So thanks for being flexible with us and whatnot. So we'll let we'll let the PhD Dr. Schiffelbein take it away. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone, how are you doing? Good morning. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I'm excited to join Tammy and Sarah on stage, and we are going to be talking through shame, which is a delightful conversation to have. Are you excited you came today? <laughs> awesome. Um, but I do want to say I am so honored and humbled to be here. Uh, I usually teach in the context of a university. Uh, this is not my normal context, so I, you know, ahead of time, thank you so much for your grace as I uh, talk through this. Uh, and then Tammy and Sarah are helping to give their own stories as we talk through this challenging, difficult topic. Uh, so thank you so much for being here, being vulnerable. And so we're going to be going back and forth. I'm going to share some information about what shame looks like, what it is, what it feels like, uh, and then how do we move through it? Uh, shame is a hard topic, but I want you to know it is a natural emotion. Same as we have anger or hope or uh, feel sad or happy uh, or joy, everyone feels shame. And there's a broad spectrum of what shame is. There's the everyday feelings of shame that we have that sometimes is more, sometimes is more related to embarrassment or guilt. Uh, those are all three separate things. Uh, but over time, we get layered and layered and layered and layered in shame. And we don't often know what to do with it. So it piles up in the small thing that might have happened when we were five or eight, piles up to a lot bigger of a monster when we're 30s, 40s, 50s, and on. Uh, and then the other end of the spectrum are uh, the, the topics that are, it's difficult to talk about in church, to come out and say, you know, there's been abuse in my family. I saw my parents fight as I grew up. Um, I was hurt badly. I went through sexual assault in college. I went through addiction. So there's this broad range. And when we're talking about shame today, it's going to trigger different feelings and emotions for each of us. And I, I want to let you know this is uh, a place where we come together as a community and we walk through not only the joyous moments of our life, but the really, really, really hard moments of our life. How we do that is um, working through compassion. And we're going to see that in the text. Um, but yeah. Please know that there's going to be resources in the back, people to pray with today and onward. Uh, if you want support, if this kind of triggers something inside of you that God's laid on your heart that you need to talk about, that you need prayer for. 
Uh, so my husband and I, we travel out to Whitewater uh, every so often. We love coming here. We always feel welcomed. Uh, we always feel included in this community. It's just incredible. Sometimes we wish we lived out here so we could come here every week. Uh, and we have a community group at our house through our church. And one of our favorite questions to start out with is, you know, what, what is your deepest shame? <laughs> No, it's not a great icebreaker, right? Because you have to build trust. You have to build um, a community before you can jump into those hard topics of life. Uh, and I, I also want to take a few moments here to this opportunity while my brother George is away to talk about his three to four top shameful moments in our family. <laughs> Just kidding. I won't do that. Uh, maybe at the end if we have time. Uh, so... I'd like us to look at the text first. There's a beautiful story that Jesus shares with us. It's a hard, difficult story. Some of you may be really familiar with it. Others, this might be our first time reading it. So we're going to jump in uh, to look at what shame looks like in the story. And as we read through, I want you to be thinking, where do I see shame in the story? Where does it pop out to you? Uh, and then where, does, where do you see compassion? Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the, the country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I know. He comes up with a plan. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. It's right here that we see shame. It's right in the text. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Through his behavior, through the choices that he made, to leave his family, to run away, to just go do what he wanted, to live his best life until it was no longer his best life. He's decided, like, I, I don't even belong in my family anymore. I'm not worthy to be called my father's son. That's a lot to say. If you've grown up in your family and, and grown up, whether a loving or non-loving family to say, I don't even deserve to be a part of that community in, anymore, that's believing a very, very dark lie. And that's what shame is. Shame comes into our life, making us feel we're not worthy of love, we're not worthy of belonging. Fear makes us feel isolated and trapped. When he realized, when he came to himself, he saw himself he had no more money, he had no more means. He ran even further away from his family. He, and that's what shame does to us. It makes us feel like 
we want to run away and hide. We want to dig this pit. We want to jump in and we don't want to be seen. We don't want to share our story because we are so ashamed. We feel so disgusting that no one could love us. No one could love me if they knew who I really was, if they knew what I had really done, what I had really thought. That's what he's doing, right? So shame comes, um, we see shame in our society three different ways. Shame comes from culture, shame comes from ourselves, our behavior, and shame, shame comes from other people. Uh, and here we're seeing a really um, perfect example of behavioral shame, that we brought it along, our, we brought it onto ourselves and onto others. We also see it culturally. So if we go back to verse 11, we're going to see that it comes out in culture. Uh, it's sometimes embedded in our values and our beliefs. That's where it comes from in the culture. We often see it in religion. Has anyone experienced it in the church? I see some nods. In popular culture. So believing and living into the lie that shame starts telling us is making the choice to stay where we are, to stay in the muck, to stay in the in the grossness of what we've decided we've become but God does not want that for us he wants us to turn toward him turn toward the light shame is an indicator that something's wrong and it needs to be fixed so if we go back and look at verse 11 uh, we're going to see it in the text so the the son goes to the father and says I want my property I want the property you would give me I want my inheritance and in this culture and I would say even our culture if I went up to my dad and said, I wish you were dead, please give me my money. It, it wouldn't go across well, right? My brothers would probably be really ashamed of me. My family, my friends, my church, my village, the people around me would be like, this is shocking behavior. Why would you bring that onto our family? Why would you bring that onto our community? You're telling us you don't want us. You're telling us that we are nothing to you. The village probably sees the father as foolish that he would even give the inheritance to his son. And the older brother is probably feeling very angry right now. Why would you do this? Why would you bring this shame onto our family? And so we see this culturally also in our culture. We feed into the values of our culture. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, Netflix, what we see in magazines when we're sitting at the dentist what our friends are saying, what we're talking about, what lifestyles we see, that starts becoming our values. And it doesn't normally make us feel good. When I'm like going through my Instagram in the morning or going through Facebook, half an hour later, I don't usually feel better at the end of looking through my Facebook. I usually feel a little down, like, oh man, I'm not enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not cute enough, I don't have cute enough things, uh, I'm not intelligent enough. Right? There's always someone who's better. I'm always comparing. And I can be comparing like the positive things, the things that I think I do well in. I'm also comparing like my own shame, my own guilt. And it could be like, well, at least I'm not like that person. Right? Or it's like, if only I could be like that person. And I put so much of my attention on me, myself, and what I'm not enough that I forget what my true identity is and who my true identity is in and that is in Jesus Christ. He has created unique giftings and unique talents and unique strengths in each and every one of us in this room. 
And I wonder what kind of stories of shame was brought into this room. The heaviness, that weight that we bring, this invisible weight that we, that we put a smile on, we're at church and everything's going fine. We do the same at work, everything's fine. We gotta keep work and real life separate. But really we're carrying this weight of, of shame, this everyday shame or these intense moments that we have witnessed or experienced in our life. Brene Brown is one of the researchers that I go to to learn more and more about shame and vulnerability and living wholeheartedly. And she talks about if you add secrecy, silence, and judgment into a petri dish of shame, it's just going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. We keep it in the dark, in a pit, over here to the side. We're not in community. We're isolated. We're feeling more and more hopeless and more and more trapped. We're going to feel more and more shame, and that's going to expand and bubble and just be gross. Instead, if we open that petri dish up, shine a little light in there, and add vulnerability and connection and courage and compassion, that shame is going to dissipate. Because we can't become resistant to shame. It's a natural emotion. But we can grow resilient to it. And we do that by journeying through practicing compassion. Right? We're going to look at a third example of shame in this story. So there's cultural, there's self-behavior, uh, and there's a third one. So let's go to verse 25. Actually, let's back up a little bit to 18. Sorry. <laughs> so I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. His father was responding with compassion. Then the son said to him, Father, he said this over and over again. He's been practicing this script. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'll be your servant. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. He's just so excited that his son is back, that his son has returned. Now his elder son, the older brother, was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Ooh, this sounds like a party. He's so excited. He called one of the slaves and asked, what's going on? I bet he's super excited. If I heard the Whitewater Band from far away, I'd be like, yeah, something's going on. And he replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. With the older brother, he became angry. And he refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. I we can have a little party to the side with a little goat. But he answered his... Oh, well, I already said that. But when this son of yours came back 
who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. So shame comes into the story again from the voice of the older brother. He has done everything his father has said. He's been responsible, dependable. He's working hard. He hasn't rebelled. He hasn't fled the country with all the money. He hasn't shamed his family. Right? I never did this and I never did that and I worked like a slave for you. I can relate to that. I worked so hard. Why would you reward him? Feels terrible. So this older brother is, is keeping the younger brother in shame. Have you ever experienced that where you've, you've behaved poorly and you've had this shameful moment and then you're starting to work through it. There's consequences with behavior, right? Showing compassion does not mean that there's no consequences, that we don't ask for forgiveness, that we don't uh, restore relationships. It's not an excuse, but we're here, we're called to journey with one another, to love one another, to walk through that crud with compassion, with love, without judgment. And this older brother takes this moment not to go, man, welcome back. We got to talk about a few things, but welcome back and I love you. Instead, he's like, no, you should feel shame. You should feel that way. You should stay in that pit. You've shamed my family. So I have three animals, my husband and I. We have two cats and a dog, Luna, Otis, and Wally, our sweet little poodle. Um, I tend to be a dog person. Uh, and we have this culture in my family where we all know, and we have all agreed, that we know where to go to the bathroom in our house. It's very important. So our cats, they, uh, they go in this gross box. Uh, our dog goes outside, and he's pretty good about holding it throughout the day. And then my husband and I, we use the normal human bathroom. It works really well until this summer. And my husband was gone. He was out of town. He usually takes care of the cat stuff because he comes from the crazy cat family. Uh, I love them dearly. And uh, I come from the dog family, so I take care of our dog part of the time. And I sit down on my couch. I'm so tired at the end of a day. It's like a Friday. I'm going to be traveling the next day. And I just want to relax a little bit. And this aroma hits my nostrils. It's horrendous. And I look to the side. And I realize that Otis the cat has not followed our cultural rules in our house. And he has determined that the couch is his new box. Yeah. I was furious. I was so upset I didn't even know what to say. So I'm just like, bad, Odie, bad, bad cat. You, you do not do this. This is so disappointing. This is terrible. And I'm so upset. And he just goes, what? <laughs> like a cat. He doesn't care. He's decided what's going to happen in our house, and that's what the rules are going to be. I look over to the side and my dog, who's done nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, he's just laying on his chair, has rolled over onto his back and he's just quaking, shivering, shaking, and he starts to put his paws over his eyes. Yeah, he's taken on that shame of Otis. 
he's seen it and he saw it and then he starts remembering I remember when I didn't go to the bathroom outside and he hears my words of Odie you bad cat and he goes if Odie's a bad cat for doing that I must be a bad dog I'm a bad dog his identity is in what he did and that's the difference between guilt and shame and walking through shame is if we choose shame it's I am wrong I am a mistake God made a mistake for making me versus guilt where I made a mistake I did something bad right so I've been working on my languaging it's, this is a dog and a cat I'm getting all teary but it's so important to know because I, I need to work on my language of looking at my cat and when he does something saying bad behavior Otis bad bad behavior so that my dog knows he's not a bad dog my cat can know he's a mad cat but no just joking <laughs> So um, I'd really like to hear from Tammy and Sarah some experiences that you've had surrounding um, the idea of shame, whether it's culturally, it's about the self, it's about others. Um, yeah, I think all of us go through shame. Um, we have different things that come up in our lives where we you know, just kind of have the guilt and question ourselves. and. For me, I think the trigger is more about um, wondering, do I deserve um, either the blessings that God has given me or the roles that I'm carrying in my life? Um, at my work, I'm in a leadership role. I've been blessed and honored to have a leadership role in our church. I ask myself, you know, with those things, um, do I really deserve those? If everyone knew all of the pieces and parts of me, would they still think that I deserve this role. And one of my most important roles is um, being a mother. And don't even get me started on mom guilt. I think you guys all understand <laughs> the shame that we carry as moms if we are enough or doing enough or so. Yeah, those are some of, of my examples. Thank you so much. And I, whoa, it's like, whoa. <laughs> the light was on me earlier. I was like, well, I don't want that shiny bright light. Uh, I think uh, just as we're talking through this, uh, we're in this Mr. Rogers Neighborhood series. And um, I don't know if you've listened to the It's You, I Like Just the Way You Are. I was, the other Sunday, I was listening to the, at the end of the, the deal, and I, I got teary. And I kind of started to feel a little embarrassed. It's like, why am I teary at Mr. Rogers? But I think that's the father's heart. You know, the yeah. father in this story runs out and it's, I love you, and I love you just the way you are. Your past, your present, um, you know, I, I want things and good things for your future, but I, I love you. And, um, you know, if you ask the question, if you really knew me, would you love me? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that gets messy in families and in church. Um, in my family, I'm the older sister and I have a younger brother. And um, when my brother and I were in college, my brother made some interesting choices in college. And my dad went and drove and picked him up and took him home because of those, those choices. And I remember my friends and I were driving through Washington, or California is where they lived, and we were on a national park road trip. And um, my brother was like, I'm going to come on your road trip. And I just blew up. Like, I'm the other 
putting shame on him. No, you're not. You made this choice. You did this. You did that. You don't deserve that. And um, I think that that's a very clear example of how I probably put shame on other people, but there's other ways that we do that through our body language, Mm -hmm. through how we react to people. And so that's my immediate family growing up. But if you think of a culture of church, how do we, how, you know, how do we embrace each other? Because we all have different ways of living life and the choices we've made and the choices that have been done to us. Katie talked about abuse, too. You never know what someone's been through. Mm-hmm. And so the way they act, um, we grow together and we learn how to, to be a community of grace. But I think that's why it's so important to spend time with the father. The older brother realizes maybe how critical and judgy they are to the younger brother, and the younger brother repents from decisions. And I think we all can look look at our lives and say, oh, I'm going to act this way and awesome. And then you go through a hard season, you're like, oh, I didn't act that way. Mm-hmm. And then you have grace, more grace for other people. Um, and so... Um, There's such a wide variation of how we experience shame, but I think that's the beauty of church is we're imperfect and we're not going to handle each other perfectly, Mm -hmm. but uh, we want to extend that grace and love. uh, And I think there's something powerful in when tangible relation says, I accept you just the way you are, Mm. because God says that to us all the time. Oh, so true. Thank you, Sarah. I love these examples because Tammy's example is very about the culture. You know, what is culture telling us? And we're, we're, our tendency is to allow culture to dictate how we're going to feel. It's human nature. It's, it's just streaming through our heads constantly on a daily thing, right? Am I good enough? Am I a good enough mom? Am I, am I a good enough boss? Am I a good enough daughter, son, uncle, right? Uh, and then, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing an example of, you know, how others can speak into our lives and how we can speak into others' lives. We've all been there. We've been the younger brother. We've been the older brother. And how do we respond? How do we journey? And it is a practice. We're not going to get it right every time. But being able to have that grace uh, and that kindness to let people try again. For me, here's a self-example. So I... My story around shame comes with my emotions. Uh, when I get angry, when I feel upset, uh, I, instead of following this healthy tendency of being curious, oh, I feel angry, I feel a surge of rage going through my body, I wonder where that's coming from, and then saying, where is that from, and going, oh, I think I'm disappointed. Okay, where am I disappointed in? Oh, I think I'm disappointed in so-and-so. Um, And why am I disappointed? Well, they didn't meet my expectations. And then why did they not meet my expectations? Because I did not communicate my expectations, right? So I'm narrowing down to the root cause of all of this, which is me. Uh, And then working through that and learning how to communicate those emotions. Instead, I've I've had to, to learn that I blame. I I get really angry, and then I lash out, and I say hurtful words. I'm unkind. I get this, like, flickering in my mind, and I just, like, everything goes white, and I just don't know what's happening anymore. So, um, you know, and there's certain, the people closest to me are the ones that are usually hurt the most. You know, my brothers, my husband, my brothers, my husband, right? The people closest to us. And then they also, my family, they're so full of compassion and kindness and they don't pour shame on me. And so then I know that I'm not going to completely break that relationship. It's going to hurt, you know, 
my mom's not going to feel good, but I know she's always going to love me. But that becomes my crutch. Rather than really thinking, oh, I really need to work on this and start identifying my emotions. So if you look on your... Um, notes on the back of your notes there's a helpful feelings wheel and this is what I've been using lately Uh, I'm really good at that center circle of like five or six emotions anger happiness surprise bad how do you feel today bad right very descriptive Uh, and so what I'm working on is going to that second layer of feelings and then maybe 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 going to that third layer of feelings and becoming curious but I come back to this idea that through compassion, my family shows me compassion every day uh, as a journey through this. And it gives me hope. And it helps me see that I don't have to be stuck in this shame. I don't have to be stuck in this pit. That I can turn and that God has put inside me a unique gifting and that he loves me and he wants me to live out his the identity that he's given me. Each of you have an identity that he's given you and that we just need to choose. We can choose to stay in the muck or we can choose to turn toward God and live into what he wants us to be. Into that hope, into that light, into the brightness. If we all did that, if we all chose to move from this shame and start looking toward God for our value and for our identity, woof, this whole room would change like the world. You would change Puyallup, you would change the Northwest if you lived into who God wants you to be with his help. We cannot do it alone and we cannot do it outside of community. Shame makes us feel isolated, trapped, makes us fearful, makes us blame. Compassion takes community, takes hard work, takes effort, takes practice. So let's look in the text at where we see compassion. I think we're about verse 18 again. The the son, he starts realizing that he's made major mistakes. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he's decided who he is. Yes, he's going to go back to his family, but he's not going to be a part of that family. He's not going to be in community. So he set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, far, far away, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. This is the antidote to shame. Compassion is the antidote to shame. It's seeing, it's feeling, and it's responding. The father sees his son. I yearn to be seen. I yearn to be known. I want my friends and my family and my husband to know who I am truly, truly, truly without judgment and to walk beside me, to journey alongside. I want to be seen. And I have to do that by offering myself compassion first, recognizing emotions. And then I need to feel. And that's hard. A lot of us have been taught to shut down through those shameful experiences growing up, whether it was addiction, abuse, whatever it might have been, we have shut down our emotions and we don't know how to handle them. We don't know how to talk about them. But as we learn to recognize our emotions and talk through it, 
We're able to recognize the emotions in other people. When Tammy tells her story or Sarah tells her story, I don't have to immediately take on their shame or tell them like, no, that's fine. You should have responded that way to your brother. But I can sit there and be like, I've been there too. I've said those things, maybe in a different situation, but I've been there and I felt those feelings. So coming alongside journeying and then we embrace and we respond. The father embraces his son, he kisses him, he hugs him. Every time I see my family when I come home, I'm so blessed to have a father who's not afraid to hug me and kiss me. He wraps his arms around me, kisses my forehead, he tells me how much he loves me. He does the same thing when I make a mistake. When I blow up, when he witnesses me getting all frustrated with my husband, he comes over and he gives me a big hug and he kisses me on my forehead. And it heals so much. It does not say it's okay that you acted that way, but it says that I love you and I'm going to keep sticking with you. I'm not running away. You're not that scary, Katie. Right? The Father loves us so much and he wants us to move from shame. He wants us to see who we are, the person that he's made us to be and begin to turn toward him to walk along others because we have to do that and it's vulnerable and it takes courage it takes so much courage this is not an easy path to live but it is so rewarding and it's so beautiful compassion is a practice so the father sees he feels with he responds to his son and that's what we're called to do Join a community group if you haven't done that. Join a community group. Find a few people that you can trust, that you can share your story with, and begin practicing sharing your story connected to the identity that God has created in you. Change, reframe who you are. Reframe who you are through the eyes, through the lens of God. Not the lens of culture, not the lens of social media, not the lens of Netflix, not the values that we see other people living out every day. We need to find our value in God, in the text, in who he is, in who he's called us to be. So thinking about compassion, what are some stories and some experiences you've had with compassion? What I heard and what I remember about church is a lot of um, feeling unworthy. I remember the very specific text of some of the things that were talked about and, and that unworthy thing um, definitely followed me uh, through my life. And when I came to Whitewater, one of the first things that happened is they were playing stories um, and they were talking about things that seemed hard. They were talking about addiction. They were talking about um, brokenness and somehow there there was still love there was still welcoming they knew that was, you know that those people had gone through that yet they belonged here at Whitewater and so I thought maybe this is a place for me where I can be real 
I can be broken and they still want me and they think I'm worthy. I'm worthy of a relationship with Jesus and I'm worthy of a relationship with them. Hmm. Um, one of the things that I've learned since I've been at Whitewater about shame is that if you, if you keep it to yourself and you keep it in the dark, then it will absolutely continue to have power over you. And the way that you can release yourself and turn it over to God is sharing it through people that love you, people that are your community. Our community here at Whitewater, your community group, people you trust that really know you. I just, I just tell you to, you know, I know it takes courage to, to come through shame and get on the other side of it, but I encourage you to share it with someone. Thank you so much, Tammy. Yeah, I think when, um, when you have tangible kind of examples of how God loves you through people, it makes all the difference in the world. And I don't know, there's diff- different degrees. I always felt unworthy of having good friends. Like, why would someone want to be friends with me? Or why would I deserve to be, you know, married to an awesome guy? Or deserve good, you know, those types of things. And um, I think just knowing God's, you know, reading scripture and knowing God's identity for me and claiming that even when I don't feel that way or even voicing it, like saying, I don't feel like this right now. Sometimes just voicing what you're feeling like has helped me because it, it brings it to the light, like Tammy was saying, and then someone can show me where I might believe in a lie rather than truth. I think Katie has an example of a friend walking through uh, just a, an everyday example. I think a lot of times we think of shame as being this this hard situation, and it is in our lives, but it also can be an everyday experience that God just wants freedom for us, whether it's whatever spectrum of shame it is, there's freedom in what that might be. So maybe you'd want to share that story. I would. You guys don't want to hear about my shameful stories, right? Uh, and so it's kind of connected. It's, I call it the bookshelf incident. And so my frustration and anger came out one day when I realized that there's been a plank of wood sitting in our garage for three years that I wanted to turn into a bookshelf. And that turned into me being kind of bitter and upset that um, my husband hadn't put up my bookshelf yet. Uh, and then I was also disappointed in myself because this bookshelf wasn't up. So this one day I grabbed that shelf and I'm like, this bookshelf is going up and I do not need his help. So I quietly snuck it upstairs. It's like eight feet long. I'm, I'm barely five feet tall. So it's this huge plank of wood. Bring up my little tool bag. Measure it all up. I'm going to be this, the best carpenter ever. And try to drill in the screws and measuring it and it's not working and it's not working and it's not working and I'm getting more frustrated and my husband comes in so kind and compassionate and says, I would love to work on this with you. And I'm like, no, you don't want to do this. Like, this is my project. And I didn't even communicate that to him. I just kind of glared. Uh, And so he tries to help and he works through it and we measure and we put it up. It doesn't work. We measure and we put it up and it doesn't work. And we do that like eight times uh, and it never works. And so there's holes all over our walls. There's still holes all in our walls. Uh, And we realized the reason it's not working is because the plank has been warped. And so our measurements were pretty perfect, but the warp plank kept moving and adjusting. So it just, it was an emotional, miserable night. I was disappointed. I was exhausted because we were holding this heavy piece of wood up. Um, We both were just really frustrated. And the next morning, of course, was church. So I had to go to church and like put on my happy face because I'm encouraging Katie and I'm positive. So I get to church and I'm like, how's it going? And I run into my friend and she asks me and I decide, 
I'll be a little vulnerable with her. So I was like, I told her about my bookshelf and how it didn't get up and it was horrible and I don't like bookshelves anymore. <laughs> and so I made it through that conversation without actually having to tell her what went down. Uh, and later that afternoon, finally home, kind of in a bad mood still, having that emotional hangover. Uh, and I get a text from her and she goes, hey, you know, I was thinking about you, and I was thinking, I think there was something a little deeper going on than just a bookshelf. You want to chat? My friend saw me. She saw who I was. She saw what I needed. She knew there was something more. And it's because we live in community. And I've had to be vulnerable with her. And she walks alongside me, so she invited me to a picnic, and she brought Oreos. She's pregnant. I don't know why she brought Oreos. Uh, She made banana muffins. It was wonderful. Uh, and she just let me talk, and she heard me, and she felt with me, and she empathized. She didn't, she didn't say, Katie, that behavior was great. Aaron observed you being really cruel and mean to him and blaming him and glaring at him. But she knew how I felt. And then she responded, and she told her own stories, and she told, told me where she's at in life. And we grew deeper. And then she prayed for me, and she brought it back, and she said, this, this isn't who you are. Who you are is in, is in God. And he's going to help you work through this. And I'm going to journey with you. I'm not going to run away. And that's what we need. We need people who are going to walk through thick and thin with us. They're going to call us out. They're going to speak truth into our life, but with kindness and love and compassion. And at the right moment for doing that. Right? So I challenge you and I encourage you to find people in your life at Whitewater where you can walk along in the challenge and that they can call out your worth and they can say God loves you he's created you he wants you he did not make a mistake and let them journey with you that's the hardest part allowing them into your life to journey with you because each of you are worthy of love and belonging and God wants you in his family okay Thanks for doing something a little different with us this morning. We appreciate your your audience. I'm just going to pray for us as we move into worship. Lord, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you that you see them. You see their past. You saw their week. You see their heart. You see their hurts. You've seen the things done to them that are unjust and how we respond. Lord, I thank you that despite all of those things, you can bring healing and freedom, Lord and that you love us just the way we are, uh, that you have a path of um, freedom for us, that you want to bring joy to our lives, you want to bring blessing to our lives. Uh, And I just pray as we worship, Lord, I pray that we would lay those things on the table, that you see us, that you love us, and that you embrace us um, every step of the way. And so I just pray that uh, as we worship, that we'd really kind of lay those things out and find freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.